few weeks ago, Brother Ramon was kind enough to cover for us Hebrews chapter 10, the first night or first 18 verses. Um, so this morning, God willing, we will uh, pursue the rest of that chapter. Uh, you're going to see it's a little bit different than how we've probably done, at least how I've done a couple uh, of the last ones. It's going to be less a uh, ton of th- of content being thrown at you and hopefully some bigger ideas. So one of the main uh, course corrections for me as I was preparing the message was, I, though I've seen this passage multiple times, I've always looked at it in blocks. I, I never had seen the cohesiveness of the passage, uh, that there really is one main thing going on. Um, and, uh, and so I, I geared everything towards... Uh, and began praying towards Lord help me show the main idea of what's going on here and how it's all tied together um, and so God willing we'll, we'll see that together this morning so let me start uh, and I can tell you on your handouts you can put it away for at least a little bit uh, we'll get the introductions not short um, so uh, let me go ahead and read the uh, passage for out of Hebrews um, 10 verse 19. Hebrews 10, verse 19 through 39. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and the living way that He opened up for us through the curtain that is through His flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice of sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Verse 32, But recall the former days, when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith. If he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those 
who shrink back and are destroyed, but are those who have faith and persevere and preserve their souls. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come and we thank You for Your Word. Again, we deserve no revelation of You. We don't deserve to know anything about You. Uh, But Lord, You've been kind to reveal Yourself in creation. We've seen even over the last few days, You are a powerful, powerful God. You can take a city that represents our strength and our technology and our might, and within just a few days, You can render it almost powerless. Father, you, you are so much bigger than we are. So would you be kind enough to humble us underneath your word this morning? Would, would we come as people and be taken down a notch in our confidence about our modern progress and, and just find ourselves for a little while seated underneath your word and asking for help Help to understand. The gospel is an incredible thing. It is an incredible thing that you have saved us from our sins. We are freed from the power of sin and from the law. Thank you. So I just pray that the gospel would be exalted, that we would be a freed people to draw near, that we would be a people more steadfast after time together this morning in our hope, and that we would be a people who are more committed than ever to love and sacrificially care for one another. We can't do these things, but we pray that you, our strong God, would. We ask these things to You, Father. We ask them through the name of our great High Priest, the One who is High Priest over the house of God. And we pray now that Your Spirit, the Spirit of grace, would act. We trust these things to You. Amen. Well, uh, part of being a father of two younger children is the fun of imagination. It's a blast, so we, we can just make stuff up, um, and we just run with it, um, and it is. Uh, this morning, on our way to church, uh, Asher and I were leading a mission to, uh, I think we are rescue, or no, we were helping the police uh, uh, get a diamond that uh, the, the people had held up here at the church, and uh, I don't know why. Uh, they had, and so we were using sleeping gas to make our way through the building with night vision goggles. We got the diamond. Unfortunately, there was some violence in these halls. Um, my, my point is, we just make stuff up and run with it. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, well, I'm going to ask that you indulge me this morning and play pretend with me for just a little bit. Here's what I want you to pretend. I want you to pretend that we are all fellow former inmates. So get that in your mind. All of us were fellow former inmates. In the past, each of us has spent time in a federal prison. Each of us was on death row. So we're some bad dudes. We're some bad hombres. Um, Some of us were in prison for quite some time. Others, it was a short stint. But each of us admits that we were justly found guilty for our heinous crimes 
for which we are convicted. Now we all live as former convicts on an island which goes by the name of Ordi Nutiet. Something wild happened that allowed us to go from death row to free on this island. Well, it came at different times for each of us, but we all can remember the morning that we were summoned, again, different times, we were summoned out of solitary confinement to the warden's office. And there, in the warden's office, is when we got this incredible news. The warden told us that there was a benefactor. He'd researched our case, and he picked us. He picked us as one on whom he wanted to show incredible mercy. So here's what he did. He went and he paid our victims and their families and their friends an incredibly absurd sum of money as a way to appease them for the wrongs that we've committed against them. He also went to the federal court system and got pardon for all the crimes that we have committed. He got us a clean record. And then he went so far as to get us a new identity. We were all handed an envelope with an ID card that had our picture but was not our name. And we were told, here is your new identity. We wondered, well, how much does this guy want to be able to do all this? And we found out that there was no, pay, or no fee that we could pay. He wasn't asking for anything. Instead, he was going to transfer us to the island of Oridi Nutyet, which the benefactor owns. We were to work and live on this island for the rest of our lives as free people. And at some point, in the not-so-distant future, the benefactor's coming, and he is going to build, we are told, the richest, most powerful city the world's ever seen. So here we are. We're gathered on our island, and we're a bunch of former convicts. Things aren't always simple. They're not all, we're not, they're not always harmonious. We are a bunch of bad hombres. So a, a few folks, well, a few of us, few folks act like brand new people who've been given a second chance at life. They're enamored with the building of the island. They're constantly ready for the benefactor to come at any moment. They are focused and they are just thankful to not be on death row. Most of us, we're sort of in and out. We're glad to no longer be in prison, but we're not so sure about the promises of this benefactor. And the truth be told, at times we get a little bit distracted. We start thinking about life back on the mainland. And then there are those who have completely defaulted on their commitment. That is, they show no confidence they have no confidence the benefactor is really coming. They're glad to be freed from prison, but all they really want to do is get back to the mainland, to their former life. And sadly, many of them have actually left the island. They have found a way back to the mainland, and they are now looking to lead their pre-prison life all over again. Today on our island we're gathered because a letter has arrived and the letter comes with three warnings. It warns us, one, engage in the life of the island as a people who have been given a new and clean record. Engage. Two, 
remain fully confident that the benefactor is really coming, says the letter. And three, serve each other sacrificially. Regularly gather together so that you don't turn your back on the benefactor. I hope, I really hope, you've picked up on some of the analogies here. This is the story of the church. The church is a group of former convicts who have been set free by an incredible benefactor and given a brand new identity. That is the definition of church. Former convicts with an incredible benefactor who now have a new identity. We were each prisoners. Prisoners to our own sin. Prisoners to the law of God. But Jesus Christ, our benefactor, He set us free by paying for our crimes on the cross. And that was just the beginning. We were each given the opportunity to live and build His kingdom. Now our island, it's not a place like already knew it. It is an island not of place, but of circumstance. It is the island of already not yet. On this island of circumstance, we have a new identity. We have a mission to build the kingdom for our benefactor. We have a sure promise that Jesus, our benefactor, is coming to build His kingdom. We are to live in the already. as those who have already been pardoned. Already freed from the prison of sin and law. And already given a brand new identity. And we are to live in the not yet. That is, as those who have not yet been freed from the habits and the desires of our former lives. Who have not yet been given, uh, who have not yet fully given ourselves over to serving our fellow believers. And who have not yet met our great benefactor face to face. And so our letter arrives this morning, church, fellow convicts. It arrives out of Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 39. And guess what? It has three warnings. And they're the exact same warnings. It warns us, one, engage in the life of the kingdom as people who have been given a new life and a clean record. Two, Remain fully confident that Jesus is really coming. Three, serve each other sacrificially and regularly gather so that we do not turn our back on the Lord Jesus. So before we even get to our first promise, our letter opens up with an introduction. And let me just go ahead and make sure you understand the logic behind it. It is this. The introduction says, since you have been freed from a life sentence, let me give you three warnings. Since you are on death row, facing the judgment of hell, let me give you three warnings. Or since you've been saved from death row, might be the better way to put it. Verse 19 through 21. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and the living way that He opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Now we know that therefore 
always points us back, but the author's been kind here. He's done the hard work for us, and he summarized what it is he wants to remind us of. That's the rest of verses 19 through 21. We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. As Brother Ramon pointed out last time, this is a reference to having full access to God because of the blood sacrifice of Jesus. Our benefactor has paid for our crimes. The way is new, says the author here, because it replaces the old sacrificial system. The way is living. It's a new and living way. It's living because our sacrifice isn't dead sacrifice. Our sacrifice is the forever King Jesus. Our benefactor, He acted as our priest. And notice, Jesus is not just called a great high priest in the house of God. He is the great high priest over the house of God. This emphasizes the point made through the book that Jesus is superior to the former ways. As such, the summary goes, the intro goes, we have been freed from the prison of law and sin. We have been freed from the death row sentence we were serving. We are no longer enemies of God, but we are invited to be His children and participants in the kingdom. So you can think of this intro as, since we have been freed from the life of death row. Since that's true, now we jump into the first warning. Since that's true, verse, and the first warning is, engage in the life of the kingdom as a people who have been given a new life and a clean record. Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. It makes sense, doesn't it? That a person who has been guilty of some really heinous crimes might be hesitant to jump into the life of the island because he's going to feel unworthy, he's going to feel embarrassed. We can imagine that such a one would engage in the life in the island a little half-heartedly. He feels like, just give me a little bit of time, I'll mess this up. I've always messed things up. Or, just give a little bit of time and they're going to find out who I really am. I don't belong here. Or, I don't know what the standards are, but I can promise you, I know my past. I cannot measure up. This must always, will always be threatened in the hearts of church members. Why? We're a bunch of fallen sinners. And therefore, we will often be unwilling a little cautious to fully engage as we think of all the things that we've done. We consider the desires that we still have. Here the author of Hebrews tells us, hey convicts, your former convicts, draw near, engage in the things of God and do so with a heart that is fully intent and resolute. 
We should do so because our hearts have been sprinkled clean of an evil conscience. Furthermore, our bodies have been washed with water. This is, this is a point about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But it's also a point about the fact that we have been baptized. We have made a public profession that we are those who were guilty of the crimes and who have been set free. Basically, we can engage in the life of the kingdom because we have a new identity. We are a new people because our benefactor has offered us new life. So friend, are you existing on the peripheral of kingdom life? Are you on the outside edges of kingdom life? This passage is telling you don't do it. Draw near. Satan would love to remind you, remind us constantly of all the ways that we have failed him and that we really don't belong in this holy assembly. He would love to make you think that you will mess it all up. But the facts are plain. We are all former convicts. All bad dudes. But now we are a different people. We can draw near and engage because we have been given a new identity. How might you draw near, friend? How might you engage in the life of God? In what ways is Satan letting your conscience keep you from engaging? The warning this morning is do not stay on the edges. Engage. The second warning we're given is to remain fully confident that Jesus is really coming. Remain fully confident that Jesus is really coming. Verse 23, let us hold fast. Now you've heard that language multiple times in Hebrews. Chapter 3 we see it, chapter 4 we see it, we see it multiple times in chapter 10. Hold fast is a major uh, thrust of Hebrews. Let us hold fast. The confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Now we are warned that we should hold fast to our hope. This language resembles the idea of holding fast to a life preserver if it's thrown out for somebody in danger. That is, grab a hold of it. So, what is it that is our life preserver that we're supposed to hold fast to? It is our confession of hope. We mentioned this before. But it bears repeating. The way the Bible uses the word hope and the way that American English uses the word hope are pretty much exactly opposites. It's actually really unhelpful. American English means by hope that we should be optimistic of something that is uncertain. So it would go like this. A student leaves for a test and you might say, I hope it goes well. Or if you're wanting a white uh, snow on Christmas, you might say, I hope we have a, a white Christmas. That is not how the Bible uses the word hope. Instead of hope being something for which we should be optimistic that is uncertain, the Bible says, means by hope, it is something which, for which we are certain that is fully optimal. That's what the Bible means. Something that is fully certain, of which we are completely certain that is fully optimal. So here we're told to hold fast the confession of our certainty that our benefactor is going to do all the things that he has promised. If ever you doubt it, 
look around you. You are no longer in solitary confinement. He pulled that off. You are no longer on death row. He pulled that off. He will come again. We are told to hold fast and don't waver for those of us who are in and out, enamored by the present world, enticed by the flesh, we are told to remain consistently focused on the kingdom. Keep our gaze from returning to the former life that we left. Keep our gaze from going to the mainland. But notice, we are told to hold fast to the confession of our hope. It's not just a document or some certificate that we put away for safekeeping, but it is something that we regularly, normally should confess. It's got to come out of our mouths. To offer a confession of our hope is to gather together and to sing good songs about our hope. We've, been, we've experienced that this morning. This is a treat. That's the best purpose of music in the church is this part right here. We all together at the same moment because music helps us keep together, we all at the same moment take the same truth and what do we do? We confess it out of our mouths. That's a confession of our hope. But it's more than that. It means to offer a personal witness to outsiders. We should regularly be sharing to outsiders the incredible news. Hey, I was a former convict. I was serving death row sentence. And now I'm free. And I am waiting for Jesus to come build His kingdom. Thomas Aquinas, Thomas Aquinas he's writing about 750 years ago, just a short couple of days ago. He put it this way. He said, It is not sufficient to have hope in the heart. It must also be confessed with the mouth. But let's be careful. Our grounding for hope and holding fast to our confession of hope is not us. Oh, I love the last part of that verse. For He who promised is faithful. <laughs> our benefactor is not uninvolved in our lives. He sent us a helper. He sent His Holy Spirit to hold us to the promises. We can hold fast to our confession because Christ Jesus holds fast to us. And now we get the final and the third warning, the one that actually consumes most of the attention of the passage. I think the rest of the passage is all attached as this, this is all about this warning. Serve each other sacrificially and regularly gather together so you do not turn your back on the Lord Jesus. Serve yourself, serve each other, serve each other sacrificially, gather together regularly so you don't turn your back on the Lord Jesus. Verse 24, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. The final warning tells us don't live an isolated life. Don't live isolated lives. Engage together in the purposes of the kingdom. 
The idea of just me and Jesus, it's a backwards notion and it is nowhere to be found in the New Testament. We are called to participate in lives together that are actively holding each other ready for the day that Jesus appears. If anyone asks you if the Bible requires regular church attendance and membership, please answer emphatically yes and point them to this very clear passage. To fail to attend and join a fellowship is to be disobedient to the Bible. For here it says we are not to neglect meeting together. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. Now, regularly attending church is one of the most important ways believers serve each other. I feel that this point is so simple that the power of it goes unseen. One of the real treats of our church, and I've said this many times, though we are small, one of the real treats is the diversity of ages represented. How great is it to walk down that kid's hall and hear those little voices? Now sometimes they sound like sweet angels and other times they sound like jihadists. But still, they sound... How encouraging is it to see that young single adult show up for church, Bible in hand, ready to sing some old songs, notebook ready to dive into the Word. That's encouraging. That's really encouraging. Are you encouraged when you see a young mother walk in with as many bags as she has kids holding on to her? You know all the work it took just to get here. It's encouraging. Words can't express the joy that our seniors give to us just by showing up. We know the pain, the discomfort, and how hard it is just to come. And you've done this not one year, but you've done this year after year, after year, you show up and it tells me they really believe it. Jesus really is coming. The rest of the passage is intended to press the importance of this final warning. We are warned that some of those who participate in the community of faith, they will desert the community to their own peril. And we are told that service to one another encourages us to remain committed to the kingdom. Those are two things. One, we're told there are some who will desert the community into their own peril. And we're told that serving one another actually is one of the ways that Jesus holds us fast to the end. Let's go back and play pretend. Let's pretend again that we're again on our uh, imaginary island of already Newt the letter that arrived today acknowledges the fact that there are some folks who have left the island altogether. It explains that those who have sought life on the mainland are gravely mistaken because it turns out that some of those who were freed by the warden were actually never picked by the benefactor. Though the warden let them go, they actually don't have a new identity. 
Their victims actually were never repaid. And they are actually wanted criminals. Well, now, if we hear that, that naturally makes us wonder, well, how do I know then that the warden didn't make a mistake in letting me go, right? Well, that's where things get interesting. The letter goes on to tell us that there's never been a case of someone who is, who is actually picked by the benefactor that has deserted the island. I'll say it again. The letter goes on to say, what we can tell you is nobody who's actually been picked has ever tried to leave. Interesting. Vice versa, it turns out that those who have remained are only those who were really picked. It seems, explains the letter, that those who were picked have such love for the benefactor, for his island, and for their fellow former inmates, they just won't leave. Those who leave actually prove that they were really never picked. So what is the takeaway, says the letter? The letter doesn't go any further than that, but it does make this very helpful point. Don't leave the island. Whatever you do, stick with each other as islanders and wait. This is exactly what the author of Hebrews is telling us. We are to encourage each other to not neglect to meet together, to serve one another, because this is what believers do. And if we walk away, we will walk away at our own peril. Look at verse 26 with me. For if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who's trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who has said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge His people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. If we pursue a life of sin and turn our backs on the gospel of grace, then we expose ourselves to immense danger. Like the islander swimming to the mainland to pursue the life he was saved from, he arrives not as a newly freed man, but as a wanted Felon. The author of Hebrews reminds us that under the law of Moses, if you abandon the community, that could cost you death. And the logic goes like this. Well, if the sacrifice of Jesus is so much greater than the sacrifices of Moses, how much greater must it be punishment for neglecting the sacrifice of Jesus? God takes seriously those who have seen and heard and yet turn back. On the other hand, those who show love and care for fellow believers, they show the genuineness of their faith. One, you've got those who are saying, forget this and forget you all. I'm heading to the mainland. They're jumping in and they're swimming away. And now you've got another group and the juxtaposition is intended. 
Look at this, verse 32. But recall the former days, when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison. You joyfully... (laughs) Make sure you hear that part. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. We'll stop there. The author of Hebrews reminds them of their sacrificial love that they showed each other in the past. We learn that some of them were thrown into prison. Now when you think of prison here, do not think of air-conditioned television and three hots. Think instead of a pit dug in the ground. They drop you in the pit. How do you keep them from getting out? You just dig the hole big enough. That's it. You're going to eat? Only way you're going to eat is if something crawls in there that you feel like killing. Uh, or if you have some people around you who love you enough to bring you food. The prison program didn't include nourishment. So what was happening is some believers were getting thrown into prison, these prison pits, because they dared call the name of Jesus. And their brothers and sisters were risking their own lives to go out and get them fed. People around them said, wait, they've been leaving like every day to go. Are they, they're, they're a believer too. They would come back and find their house ransacked and their stuff gone. And how did they react? They joyfully, <laughs> that just blows my mind, accepted it. They came home, found their TV gone, place ransacked, no grumbling, just happy to let it go. Came home, found that new MacBook gone. Hey, who cares? Let it go. Just glad I could feed my brother. I'm so thankful that the text is kind enough to give us the reason why they responded that way. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one, Pastor Charlie has mentioned this quote multiple times by Jim Elliott, who said, He is no fool to give up what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose. When we really believe, I mean, honestly, at a gut level, believe our benefactor is coming. He really is going to build the richest city the world has ever known. And by city, I mean kingdom. Then we are freed to let go of this world and love each other in radical ways. The point being made is that those who love Jesus care for fellow believers. They serve fellow believers. And so, can I ask you, Please consider, how are you serving other believers? Service to other believers, it binds us to the kingdom. Kingdom joy is always best experienced in serving much more 
than being served. There are tons of ways you can serve. All it takes is a small whisper to one of the pastor's ears and just say, I want to serve more. Got any ideas? I promise they will have ideas. Alright, this is the last part. It's 36. Remember, the point being made is that we should stir each other up because to do so will help us remain, persevere. That's been the point I've said is being made. Here's the justification for it. So we'll start with 36 again and finish 39. For you have no need of for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. This is right out of Isaiah. But my righteous one will uh, one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Out of Habakkuk. But we are not those who shrink back. Why? You're still here on the island. Remember, if you're on the island, it says something. We are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and, per and preserve their souls. Stay on the island where you and serve your fellow convicts and you will prove you are really chosen by the benefactor. Stay in church and you will prove you're really chosen by Jesus. It doesn't mean you're not going to have days that you doubt. It doesn't mean you're not going to make some bad mistakes. We are, after all, a bunch of death row convicts, some bad hombres. But serve your brothers and sisters. First and foremost, show up. Then figure out ways that you can sacrificially care for each other. But walk away from the commitment to other believers. And you are like the convicted felon swimming to the mainland to try and get his old life back. You just might get the very thing you're seeking. So my fellow convicts, let us engage the life of the kingdom. Let us remain fully confident. Jesus is really coming. And let us serve one another as if our life depends on it. We're going to close with a song uh, that I'm just going to have a video, ask the video be played. It's a, it's a Getty song that I've really appreciated and I think really sums up this text well. So it talks about Jesus Christ being a fount of living water, but it makes this statement. There is a river that flows with mercy and love and it brings joy to the city of our God. There, our hope is secure. We do not fear anymore. Praise the Lord of living waters. I pray that God would use this to commit ourselves again to our benefactor and also in so doing to one another. Let me pray and then we'll play the video. Let's pray.